0: This morning I proclaim to you the word of God from Ephesians 4. We're going to focus our attention on verse 3. There Paul urges us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Church unity is a wonderful thing. We just sang from Psalm 133. But how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in communion. That's what Paul also addresses in our text this morning. He encourages us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's attention was focused on the believers in the church of Ephesus on how they lived in their relationships together. Our text is focused on relational unity, on how we get along with one another as brothers and sisters at Redeemer. Unity in a a local congregation is very important. We often don't realize how important until we experience a time when there's disharmony and fighting. When brothers and sisters fight together, their ability to praise and glorify God is undermined. They're also not in a position to exercise their God-given role in the communion of saints. It's hard to use your gifts and talents for the benefit of others when you are at odds with them. When Christians in a local church fight, their witness to the world is also compromised. You cannot give outsiders a sense of joy and peace and hope, which the gospel brings, if you're consumed with infighting. So why, you may be wondering, is your pastor addressing this issue of congregational unity? Part of the reason is that our unity is always under threat. At times, envy and jealousy of others make it difficult for us to relate to them well. Gossip almost always gets back to the person being gossiped about, and it creates hurt and mistrust. There's times when we've been hurt by the sins of others, where they fester in the background. Normal life gives many opportunities for our relationships to be disrupted, or for them to break down. And Yet, beloved, we're not living in normal times. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've not been able to worship together as a community for almost half a year. And there does not appear to be an end in sight. We've missed the last two celebrations of the Lord's Supper. We're not able to fully partake in the means that God uses to nurture us in our faith. And over time, that wears on us. We haven't had the same opportunities for communal, for communal fellowship. There's members of the church we haven't seen for months on end. It's hard to feel united. We haven't seen many of your brothers and sisters for such a long time. Further, we're in danger of further disruptions to our unity because of disagreements about the COVID-19 situation. Some think that COVID-19 is little more than a bad flu. Others consider it to be a deadly pandemic. Some think that the current social distancing rules are too severe. Others think they're most appropriate. Some think that government support for businesses and wage earners is fantastic. Others believe it to be a disincentive for people to work, and they worry about how we're going to pay for all this. Some are concerned about government overreach in personal areas of life, while others support these measures. The mandatory wearing of masks, the potential for having a vaccine forced on us makes some see red, while others support these measures. I don't know what it's like in your home or in your circle of friends, but to me it seems like COVID-19 is getting a lot of discussion in our circles. And in a way, that's appropriate, since it has disrupted our lives in such a big way. Discussions can be helpful in understanding and in analyzing issues. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen teaches, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Yet in discussing COVID-19 with all its implications, we all come to discussion with our own circumstances and our own biases we read different information, we watch different videos, we latch on to different perspectives. And increasingly, these perspectives are beginning to clash. Because we feel strongly about these issues, our debates can get personal, can lead to animosity, can cause us to avoid certain brothers or sisters because we just don't want to listen to their views again. In short, it can easily undermine our unity This morning I preach you the Word of God under the following theme. Paul encourages us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We'll consider how our unity can be disrupted and how our unity is to be maintained. The letter to the Ephesians can be divided into two main sections. The first three chapters deal mainly with doctrine. Paul focuses on the redemption we have in Christ. He emphasizes the great deliverance that Christ has worked for us. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive together with Christ by the grace of God. In chapters 4 through 6, the practical consequences of this are outlined. Paul teaches all who have been redeemed by Christ how to show forth their thankfulness for this deliverance. He urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We're called to put off the old sinful nature, to walk in newness of life. When the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, we're more and more able to bring forth the fruits of thankfulness. Then our life is transformed so that we bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Paul shows that when the Spirit lives in us, we will no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts causes a distinction between the body of Christ and those who are outside of it. Those who are the body of Christ walk together in a direction that's very different from those in this world. Unbelievers' lives are often marked by selfishness anger, dissension, fighting, and the like. In contrast, Paul encourages us as believers to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Up front, it's important to stress, we are not the ones who make unity. Our unity as Church of Jesus Christ comes from the fact that we all share a common faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's Christ who, by the powerful working of his Holy Spirit, binds us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Christ is the one who unites us, who makes us one with him and each other. And beloved, the fact that Christ does this is a great miracle. In the early church, it was not easy for Christians from different backgrounds to be bound together as one body. Some of the Christians in Ephesus came from a Jewish background. They had been brought up with the Mosaic law. They considered the Gentiles unclean. A good Jew would not enter the home of a Gentile. He would not eat with such a person because to do so would make him ceremonially unclean. Jewish Christians thought that Gentile Christians should be circumcised. It was hard. For these Jewish Christians to overcome their prejudices of the past. Yet in in Ephesians 2, Paul explained how Jesus Christ has broken down the age-old dividing wall of separation. By his blood offered for us on the cross, Christ has made peace between God and us. He has united Jews and Gentiles, taken away their natural hostility, making all One in Him. Galatians 3, verse 26 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You see, beloved, it doesn't matter what your nationality or the color of your skin is. It really makes no difference if you're rich or poor, if you're educated or not. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you submit your life to him as Lord, you belong to him. And all who belong to Christ are bonded together, are united together as members of his body. We, beloved, share one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Ultimately, we're united in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And yet living in this sin-stained world, it's so easy for us to disrupt church unity. Many of us know one another pretty well. We've worshiped together for years. We've together supported and sent our children to Emmanuel Christian School. We've gotten together for communal Bible study. We've worked on various committees with one another. Some know each other pretty well from work. Others holiday together. And intermarriage binds many of our families. Our close contact will either draw us together or it'll drive us apart. Our unity may be, may be disrupted because we know each other's weaknesses and shortcomings so well. It's easy to become negative in our attitudes towards another person. Our spiritual unity is disrupted when we gossip about other members, breaking down their name and reputation. At times, there's brothers and sisters that we avoid contact with. We refuse to fellowship with them after church. We like to go and talk to our friends, but we pass them by. People notice. They get hurt. They don't feel welcome. Part of the body of Christ At times, a relationship with a brother or sister may have suffered some strain. And instead of dealing with the issue, confronting it and working it out, we just try to stay away from the other person. We walk right by them in the fellowship hall. We avoid eye contact. There's no smile. There's no hello. We walk circles around each other. It causes the tension to grow. And it breaks down our spiritual unity. Right now, we have the additional pressures from the COVID-19 situation. It's hard to keep in touch with one another when there's social distancing measures in place. We're only worship with a quarter of the congregation at at a time. And many of us haven't seen each other in months. While live streaming is a wonderful blessing, it's just not the same as gathering together in worship. We are not together anymore as Church of Christ at this place. We can't all sing and pray together. We miss the sweet joy of communion as brothers and sisters. There's also a lot of different opinions about the COVID-19 situation. When When the pandemic first began, there were horror stories coming out of China and Italy and other places about how virulent this virus was. Our governments responded by limiting travel to Canada and by shutting down what they called non-essential business and recreational activities. Given how little was known about the COVID-19, most people would consider that this was a good response. The goal was to flatten the curve so our hospitals would not be overrun. Since that time, much has happened Our hospitals were not overrun with COVID cases, as expected. Infection rates remain low, especially in Manitoba. On the one hand, that's a blessing, because the less people who get sick, the less that end up in hospital or die from it. But in many ways, having a low infection rate is not good. Normally, the way to overcome a virus is for it to move through the community, and for the general population to build immunity against it. It's taking a long time for that to happen. And yet our society is obsessed with increases in infection numbers. Decisions about social isolation measures are now based on this. In general, I would characterize society's response to the pandemic as being characterized by fear. Remember, beloved, your unbelieving neighbors have only got one shot at life, the here and the now. They don't know Christ. They have no hope for a future with God. That's why so many people support the social distancing measures that have been imposed. That's why so many are in favor of wearing masks in public and are interested in a vaccine. In reality, infection rates are, for the most part, irrelevant. The only numbers that really matter are the number of deaths. Manitoba has a total of 11 deaths attributed to COVID-19 in the past six months. That's less than the number of deaths from the seasonal flu or from car accidents or murders in our province when measured against the damage caused by delays in various surgeries and treatments, and the mental health toll imposed on many, it's understandable that many are questioning our government's management of COVID-19. As God's people, these matters live among us. And it's good, because they affect our daily lives. Different people have different perspectives on these issues. We are not all agreed on how to deal with the COVID-19 situation. Some of us have real concerns about the financial management of our economy and about the government's infringement on the church and on personal freedoms. At times, discussions get heated and disagreements are vigorous. There's times when we get tired of those around us sounding off on these issues. There's potential for them to undermine our unity, to divide us. Yet in our text, Paul calls us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In our second point, we'll focus on how our unity is to be maintained. Please remember, beloved, on what our unity is based. It's based on a common faith in Jesus Christ. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they may be one, even as he and the Father were one. He prayed for all those who would believe in him through the the apostles' witness, that they may all be one. Yet in Jesus' prayer, it becomes clear that such unity must be based on truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. For us to be truly united together, our unity must be based on the truth of the gospel. It's important to emphasize that. As Reformed Christians, we have agreed that we believe in the doctrine of the word of God as summarized in the Confessions We don't have to agree about everything else in life. Our unity comes from believing in Christ and Him crucified. It comes from agreeing that the Bible is our standard for doctrine and life. Historically, we know that Christians have been divided about some pretty serious things. We read together from Romans 14 and 15 this morning. One of the divisive issues that Christians faced in the early church was the question of whether or not they were permitted to eat meat. From 1 Corinthians 8, we learned that some Gentile Christians were struggling with eating meat that had been offered to idols in pagan temples. Formerly, they had participated in these pagan festivals. In Christ, they'd been set free from the bondage of serving these other gods. They wanted to do everything in their power to distance themselves from the idolatry and the immorality of their former life. The problem was that the leftover meat from animals sacrificed in pagan temples was commonly sold at the market. Most meat available there came from the pagan temples. Some Christians felt conscience-stricken about eating such meat. They couldn't do it. It's interesting to see how Paul evaluates this issue. He writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Paul's overall perspective was, it's just meat. God has given us meat to eat. The fact that it was offered in a pagan temple does not make it unclean. But if you think it is a sin to eat it, and you go ahead and do so, it is sin for you. So how does Paul suggest that members of the early church deal with this issue? He tells those who are strong in their faith to welcome the weak, but not to quarrel about opinions. He says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Paul's point is that we shouldn't be making judgments about others in these sorts of matters. God is our judge. We're accountable to him. Paul tells us that instead of passing judgment on one another, we should decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. He writes, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Paul explains that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul's point is that if you are convinced that eating meat or drinking wine is all right, feel free to enjoy Do it privately. Don't flaunt it to the detriment of your brother or sister. Let's try to apply some of these lessons to the COVID-19 situation. As Christians, we are allowed to have different perspectives on these issues. It's important for us to remember that our perspectives are often shaped by our personal circumstances. If you are younger and healthy and not in contact with anyone who is vulnerable to COVID-19. You may view social isolation and the wearing of masks as a big joke. But if you're elderly suffer from underlying health conditions or are immunosuppressed, you need to be a lot more cautious about your contact with other people. As such, you may favor the strict observance of social distancing measures and the wearing of masks in our own homes, and in the general public, we are free to make our own decisions about such matters. You can choose whether to remain in social isolation in your own home or whether to venture out into public. As brothers and sisters, we should be sensitive to the fact that some of our members are reluctant to get out into public or to attend church because of health concerns. If brothers or sisters are not showing up for church because they can't be bothered, you need to, at- to encourage them to attend. But if they have legitimate health concerns, allow them to make up their own mind. Each of us is free to venture into the general public wearing or not wearing a mask. But if you want to go into certain stores, they require you to put one on. If you want to fly with any of the airlines, you are required to wear a mask. You can choose whether or not to enter that store or fly with that airline. But if you do, you're required to abide by their guidelines. Recently, we heard that the Manitoba government made the wearing of masks mandatory for all students from grade 4 to 12. At any time when they cannot socially distance themselves by at least 2 meters Now, beloved, we may think that this is a dumb rule. We may doubt the benefit of wearing masks. We can even challenge this restriction in the courts if we like. But in the meantime, we need to abide by the rules. Paul's words from the first verses of Romans 15 are important for us. He said, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please our neighbor for his good to build him up. What Paul is teaching us is ins- that instead of insisting on our own rights, we need to show forth love to one another. Paul gives the rationale for this. It's because of our Savior Jesus Christ and because of what he did. Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Just as Christ considered others, us, more important than himself. So we need to act out of concern for our brothers and sisters. I think we would all agree, beloved, that if we were allowed to visit a vulnerable elderly family member in hospital or in a care home, We'd be willing to gown up and put a mask on. None of us would want to be responsible for making him or her sick. In the same way, there's times and situations when we may be asked to do the same out of love and concern for our neighbor. In Ephesians 4, verse 2, Paul explains how we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He tells us to do so with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. To be humble means that you shouldn't think that your way is always the right way. Showing gentleness involves being tender and sympathetic and considerate of others. Being patient involves accepting delay or suffering without getting angry or upset. Bearing with one another in love means we're willing to show love even to those with whom we disagree. The way in which we can maintain our unity together is by displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our interactions together. There's one more thing I want to address with you, beloved. It's the general manner in which we need to approach something like COVID-19. To a large extent, the world's response to this is driven by fear. While it's good for us to exercise certain precautions, let us never be driven by fear. We serve the Lord God, creator of this world, king of the universe, our shepherd and defender God holds our lives in his hands. He loves us dearly, so much so that he sent his dearly loved son to offer his life for ours. After speaking of God's love for us, the Apostle John wrote, saying, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If we know God and his Son, Jesus Christ, we need not fear. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of God's promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. He concludes, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my Helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I'd like to conclude with the words of Paul from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Beloved, when we place our trust firmly in our faithful God and Father and show forth the love of Christ to one another, then we can live in true love and unity together. We may not agree on all issues relating to COVID-19, But we will respect each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we'll do our utmost to show consideration to those who need it. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from hymn 50.